everyone, welcome back to the left page! I am Frank, your always online historian, academic, and writer. And today, for my special... special birthday month episode and uh, momentous day, but we'll get to that shortly, I have a very interesting episode on quite a lot of different things. I am joined by my great friend, social scientist, and fellow podcast co-host of Here Be Media, Alright, the new left page show uh, where we talk about media. A lot of video games, but other stuff as well. Uh, Leon! Hi, Leon! Hey, Frank. Thanks to thanks for having me. Of course. I, I had a point of having you on the left page. And we have more yeah. episodes planned for the left page. Some of which... We sure do. We sure do. <laughs> Smiling through it's, my teeth there. It's funny because we... Um, just to jump right in... <laughs> for your audience as well, because we have been talking for quite some time. And I, I would like to sketch just for the audience how this process has gone so far. By um, all means. Yeah, right? Uh, so like a long time, uh, like a long time ago, like a year and a half, a while ago, by a now, while. we were uh, talking about uh, Frank's podcast and they very graciously invited me on. And we at first, we thought, all right, Maybe let's do something leftist. So I was like looking at like Dutch, like leftist people, like leftist writers. And I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. I can do that. There's like an anti-colonialist writer. There's like a more social oriented writer. And eventually we moved on to more a fictional setting. Yeah. And the, uh, I, I don't know if if you want to, well, let, let's just tell them. Of course. The first, <laughs> the first time the idea was that we were going to do Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And then Frank stopped reading the books, so yeah. <laughs> we will we will get to that eventually. When um, I finish the books. And I was like, Frank, don't worry, I will come on your podcast any point in time. Just give me some time in advance so I can read <laughs> all the stuff again, so I can prepare all the stuff. And then... That dragged on for such a long time that we started our, we started another podcast on top it's of true. that. So if we're doing this thing in reverse, I believe it's really funny. Yeah. But <laughs> other than that, uh, and then all of a sudden Frank was like, "Hey, let's do Witcher," and, and now we are doing The Witcher, I believe. Yeah, that's what we're gonna do. Uh, the first two short story books, because there's a lot yes. of books, and uh, yeah, you know, so trying to contain the subject. We only right. chose two short story books, which is still a lot. And because uh, I listened to the audiobook, which is not something I do, but it was a really good audiobook, very enjoyable. It was about 22 hours, maybe a bit more. So, yeah, give or take. 3, 24, even. Uh, so, it's some time, fair amount of book. Yeah, just so the people know what, uh, who might not have read The Witcher. Or have any interested in it, but are still interested in the discussion about it. Yes, and it's it's unique, unique s place in fantasy. We do we're doing the, like you said the two short story bundles. Yes, which, and then after the two short story bundles, the chronologically there are the saga books, which are mm -hmm. five books, and uh, there's also after the finishing of the saga books, there's 
yet another full book, but that one takes place in the time in around the same time as the prequel esque short stories collections that we are yeah. uh, dealing with today. So that's the structure of the literary <laughs> works of uh, The Witcher. Then there are three video games which are set after the last saga book. And then there's also a Netflix series which originally was planning to deal with the subject material of the saga books and the short story stuff. But it kind of derailed and is its own thing based on my assessment of the season two Netflix series of The Witcher. Fair. I, I haven't watched season two yet. <laughs> right. But that's just for anyone that's confused. That's the landscape of Witcher media and literary stuff. So <laughs> I hope that gave some clarity. So we are deal we are beginning with the earliest works chronologically, in universe chronologically, uh, of The Witcher. Yeah. Which are two sort of collections. Yes, both titled The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny. And yes. we there are a lot of different stories, a lot of different aspects. And I think for this conversation, really, we'll what we'll mostly do is sort of dive into some of the stories and different themes and the ideas that jumped out most to us in terms of, I guess, what makes The Witcher a very particular kind of fantasy saga even in just the short stories and its presentation, uh, maybe a bit about what that character is and how that dives into it and some of the, I don't know if I put it as like the ambitions of the book or of the story or the character because there are, there are definitely some ambitions in terms of uh, thinking, I suppose, moral questions, quandaries and, and even like sort of political colonial situations even. So... There, there's definitely a lot to them, even in just these two short stories. And of course, some of the problems and the things we didn't like, and some of the things I hated. But we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, overall, like as a, as a presentation, it's they're very different stories. I think both books have different feels, and I th think Leon put it best uh, when we were chatting before when he put it that like Last Wish is about. Geralt and the establishing of this character and some of his main sort of relationships and connections while sort of Destiny sort of sets up the world around him a bit more and makes certain connections and uh, it's also chronologically after Last Wish and is setting up for the saga itself which is uh, yes. quite clear especially at the end which we don't need to get to although it doesn't matter all that much uh, but regardless it's they're different in terms of feel and the stories and some of the some of the things that Last Wish does with its short stories and the character of Geralt, uh, which, for reference, I've only played the third game, uh, which are free, and the, the expansions, which are Hearts of Stone and Blood and Wine. Yes. And, uh, yeah, which, which are quite interesting in, in what they do in Blood and Wine, I think, sort of redoes a lot of what happens, or certain things that happen, at least in Last Wish, which are done as like this setting up, a redone at, at the very end of the saga, if we're trying to think about it in these terms, in a lot more refined way. But this is not judgmental. It's just like, yeah, it's, it's a more mature look at that and, and how to do that comparison with other different, not necessarily fantasy sagas, but sort of uh, medieval-esque ideas of chivalry and a knighthood and that kind of thing. But regardless. It definitely occupies a very 
odd space within the fantasy genre. Oh, absolutely. And I think this is definitely like in a purposeful way. Andrei Shlapkovsky, the writer of the bo- uh, books mm-hmm. and the creator of this universe, is definitely plays with the poetics of fantasy and is very aware of the poetics of fantasy. Yes. And its origins and place and creates a certain distance between them, which makes the interaction with it very. I think it's very interesting, but it might not be everyone's cup of tea. Let me uh, put yeah. that forth as a disclaimer. Oh, also, yeah, I sorry to do this for you on your podcast, but <laughs> no, maybe you. content warning for yeah for anyone who wants to get into this series, video game or book-wise, or, or Netflix series-wise, I suppose. It deals with very mature subject material. It's gruesome, it's violent, and, uh, well, sadly, I would I would say, if you're comfortable with the subject material of, let's say, A Song of Ice and Fire, the books series that, that Game of Thrones is based off of, you're not going to have a problem with uh, The Witcher. No. If that is something you uh, you do have a problem with, Please feel free to like, uh, well, please proceed with caution. That's all yeah. I'm like humbly requesting. Uh, so yeah, just a polite heads up. Uh, once again, we have no intention to get into the very gruesome details to any great extent, but they might be mentioned or they might just pass by. I uh, mean, just for for reference, the very first story of uh, the Last Wish features. I mean, the, these are the content warnings. You feature really gruesome and really terrible uh, child death, and although yes. not on, on scene, and uh, pretty gruesome incest. And, uh, yes. you know, certain mentions of sexual abuse and assault throughout the series. So, you know, th- just, it, it's dark in a way that, I mean, even I, I think it's a testament to, to these books. It's not very, it's not gratuitous, I don't think. I, I think it's de- it definitely has a, like a shock factor kind of thing. But I think it's well handled and it's like, yeah, the, this is what we're talking about. There's no, there's nothing shining. There's nothing glistening here. It's pretty damn rough. Yeah. And like, it's confronting that a lot of the time. So it's rarely ideal. There's really positive situations that, and that comes into play into how sort of sets apart from even... Well, there's a big interplay with folklore and stories and fairy tales and sort of even getting at that idea of that that original darker source material of these fairy tales at times and like even pushing it further or distancing and creating something else. It's, It's quite special, I think, in that regard. But, of course, the point is, be wary... <laughs> It can get yeah. quite intense. It, it, it's not. I don't think it's for granted, but doesn't mean that it isn't intense or isn't difficult. Quite a lot of the time. So just heads up. Definitely. On the note of what we have consumed or uh, of the Witcher media that is out there, I have watched everything, read everything, and played everything. <laughs> I think. Nice. Except for a a um a board game. That is out there. Huh. Um, it's both out there on Steam, like on uh, as a as a video game, huh. but I have not played that. Uh, but it, it it doesn't portray a story that is even remotely considered canon. Um, <laughs> from the eyes of the writer, the games are not canon. Um, really? 
<laughs> oh, oh no. I do have a story about that later. If oh, you, if I will want to hear it. it. It's, yeah. Okay, that's we'll interesting. We'll say it, we'll um, Throughout this podcast, I'm going to, sorry if that's annoying to anyone, but I'm going to have to ask myself, do how much do I want to get into this? Or how much do I want to get into that? Because I don't know if you want to spoil it, but I feel like it's a given we're going to get back to the Saka books yeah, well, as well. well. Yeah, I, I, especially since I haven't read them. <laughs> yeah, no, when you have read them, like, eventually there will be a... Oh, yeah, probably. I think we'll definitely yeah. get... There'll definitely be more Witcher episodes in some unspecified amount of time, but we're not done yeah. with the books because yeah. although, you know, I like the first more than the second, I am interested in reading the others and I enjoy them. And I will. So I want to bring you back to talk about them. Yeah. Yeah. So for anyone listening, I might not deal with everything in full. Yeah. I might touch upon a bunch of things, but trust me, I'm going to try and then deal with them in later episodes. Mainly because there's a lot to say about The Witcher, but also like I was yeah. trying to get to earlier, with Witcher's relationship to fantasy and fantasy as a genre in a whole, yeah. as a whole. Like I said, it's such an interesting choice to divorce itself from the standard fantasy uh, ruse, if you will. (laughs) I don't know if that's the right word for it. But it was uh, the first, I think, I'm not quite sure. I don't read or speak Polish. So Mm -hmm. I have not, not, none of us have written the original works (laughs) in their original state. So disclaimer for that, if you're such a fucking Puritan. No, um, just kidding. But it's, it's, um, it's, that might, we might miss some small nuances. And some people might be looking for how to place The Witcher in Polish and Slavic fiction and fantasy fiction and i would humbly argue that despite there being some certain elements that belong in the eastern european canon of fantasy it deals with a very broad european yeah uh, fantasy aspect for instance uh the, the writer andrei Shokovsky is very familiar with arthurian legend like a, like yeah. to a professor level of familiar with, uh, I believe he even gives lectures on, oh, I, I'm so sorry, I forgot which which topic he is a professor in, mm. but he does give lectures, and I will save this for the next episode, uh, <laughs> very conveniently, but uh, besides that, he does give lectures on a bunch of stuff, so he does have a broad understanding of fantasy as a whole, mm-hmm. and he very purposefully maneuvers his own work within that uh, sphere of fantasy. And I enjoy that. Do I think he did it flawlessly? No, I don't think there's (laughs) such a thing as flawless. Yeah. Other than that, it's interesting how he deals with, and let's look at the first topic, if if I can, (laughs) I would would like to get into. Yeah, no, I think think that's a good start. (laughs) Is a thing that bothers me, or not necessarily always bothers me, but I find difficult at times to deal with which is what i would like to call and i'm sure there are better terms for it but i would like to call the problem of the hyper competent man doesn't have to be a man (laughs) can be any gender but the hyper competent character and Geralt definitely fits that criteria because absolutely for those who don't know there's this is the world of the witcher and in this world of the witcher 
there is, uh, well, it's essentially a smorgasbord of uh, fantasy and folklore, as you very correctly point out, a uh, wide collection of folkloric uh, monsters, creatures, species, and so forth. And they have all been kind of tossed together. And the lore of the world does justify this by saying there was this moment in time which is called the conjunction of the spheres. And different universes overlapped as if it was like the uh, the arms of a clock all coming together and then suddenly there is space and time, whatever. It's not very elaborately explained. No. But someone snapped their fingers, so to speak, and all of a sudden they are together. And ever since then, and the witchers were created as a reaction to this occurrence. Because, well, not to get very zoological or anything, but just just the risk of viruses alone would be immense. Because suddenly you have, you have creatures of different ecosystems, and nobody has the same antibodies. So you you might have like gargantuan epidemics on your on your hands. But uh, nobody would be very interested in reading that. I think. Uh, unless you would reshape the story to fit that narrative, I suppose. But witches were created to battle and combat these strange new uh, creatures. And, well, that's that's what Geralt does. He is well, a very hyper-competent monster slayer, essentially. That's what people know about witches as we go through the story. We'll see that it's not as cut and dry as all that, because... Monsters have been slain to such an extent that we get questions like, hmm, should we slay the last of this species? We might have called it a monster once upon a time, but isn't it just what what makes it different from like a very dangerous, quote-unquote, normal animal? Like, should we kill lions because lions might bite humans to death? (laughs) Like, I would say, no. So you get uh, this moral philosophical debate, the social philosophical debate about what to do with these monsters and how do fitters still fit into the world with a monster population that's rapidly declining because witches are good at their job as we find out (laughs) by the steep decrease of monster presence and Geralt's how to create a witcher let me just say that first is by (laughs) essentially politely kidnapping children yeah. <laughs> if you have a better word for it, I would love to hear it. I mean, it's the extremely comical resource, which is, it's uh, it, it's the law of surprise. Right. Uh, which, you know, it's like uh, someone offers you a reward for anything. And then there's like the little um, thing, which is like, oh, give me something at home, which you do not, ex- which you do not know of and do not expect and something, something, something. And it's usually a child uh, because, you know, and have uh, the same level of, you know, birth medicine and, and that kind of thing. But so that that's the way that they politely kidnap children via rewards. Yeah, they just kind of hoodwink children out of places yeah. uh, wherever they go. And this is how they establish uh, people in their ranks. In times when it was different, they, they were might, they might have been supplied by children when they, yeah. were, they were of higher standing. And, you know, when there were more monsters, people were kinder to witchers, maybe. There are also some recollections of the past in which you might be uh, you might be led to think differently about those things. It's my problem with these short stories is that I think, and this is speculative, mm-hmm. 
but I think that Andrei Sokoski does not yet fully know himself what he wanted to do. Oh, yeah. Because these were written, right? Because these were written uh, before the books. And because of that, I feel like the writer was still experimenting with, oh, how do they fit into the world? How, what kind of uh, legend do I want to create around these characters and these kind of professions? Yeah, he's, he's still playing with the character, with the world, with this idea and the stories. So they fit together, sure, but maybe not in the entire whole of the universe, so to speak, that, that he's building. Yes. Because we're still, like, early days. So, yeah, I, I think, like, you're completely right, and that's fine. Yeah, I agree. I, much, I, I cared way more deeply for an early agreement on themes and on philosophies and what does the world believe in and so forth. Mm -hmm. This is way more important to me than lore or uh, narr canonical narrative. Mm -hmm. Once again, that doesn't mean you can't just mess up uh, the previously established information <laughs> because, once again, it should all cooperate uh, like together like cogs in a machine and so forth. Yeah. But th there are some uh, discrepancies here and there, which is, which is fine. Yeah. I think, in, as someone who has read the books already, I think the books make more than up for it. And mm -hmm. what the books focus on, the discrepancies that I might encounter in the, in the short stories don't become, are not that relevant to the story that is being told in the books. Let me put it like that. Yeah, that's good. Um, right? Yeah, no, I, I'm, that's why I'm <laughs> eager to talk about them. And uh, yeah, no, I, I think they, uh, they he did a good job with dropping what isn't very essential and just focusing on his strengths with the saga books mm -hmm. so I will, we will we will talk about that when you have read them yeah. <laughs> let me just put let me just put a pin in that for now oh you you were mentioning about the hyper competent man right oh, sorry my bad um the hyper competent man is like it's difficult because how do we deal with the hyper competent character one could think of like the Jedi in Star Wars, for instance. Yeah. How do I make the story interesting while also upscaling the abilities of my character? And The Witcher definitely fits in the narrative. <laughs> well, <laughs> The Witcher is kind of close to the Jedi, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, for those who have not read <laughs> the books or know anything about The Witcher, but uh, great swordsmanship. Peerless, sorry, let me be very clear. Peerless swordsmanship, yeah, and have fun little magical abilities, yeah, and they even have Jedi mind tricks. They Man, how do. did I never put this together? Oh, well, I mean. I, I'd, I'd add to the fact that like the Jedi never use their full set of abilities, as far as we know. Yeah. Rather, in, well, they do in the video games, uh, but not in right. any other. Well, maybe the the other books, but in the movies, I mean, they definitely they, they never steal do. Children, sorry, they steal children. They also uh, do that. They have a monastic-esque order. They m mutate the children indirectly, though. It's more of a uh, brainwashing mechanic. My God, you're right. Unleash on uh, the jet. But you, but you do get some cool returns for it, I suppose. And I, and I suppose you have, like... Well, this is not in the stories yet, but at least it appears in the video games, and I imagine the books, different, like, schools of witches... And you have like right. better schools and worse schools, so you're 100 percent right that it's similar to Jedi. Holy yeah, crap. Um, 
other than that, the schools are going to be mentioned in the main saga books, mm-hmm. but they're never going to play a role. Mm. So uh, they are mentioned, and that's that's that. Mm. Geralt, as the protagonist, Geralt of Rivia, he uh, is, is, is quite a meme. <laughs> Even if you haven't played the games, you might have, and you are on the internet, you might have heard of him and or seen him in, in some kind of, I don't know, YouTube compilation or whatever. Quite the beloved character, mainly because, well, this ties into what I was going to say. The hyper-competent character that is, how do I say this politely? is seemingly as emotionally devoid as you want them to be. So you can project yourself onto the character wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. This is why, no matter what your your philosophical opinions or your political contemplations are, you can project yourself onto Geralt's because there's nothing obstructing you from doing that. I'm talking about the video games, Mostly of the uh, for the video games, not mm-hmm. the books. Because in the books, he he does express more of a character. Thank God. <laughs> uh, other than that, the video games once again is a different medium, so I yeah. don't criticize them for that. Even though it, it is slightly slightly difficult to do that because you are ignoring some. Uh, you are. Geralt is uh, in the video games is allowed to make some choices that I wholeheartedly believe he would never do. Yeah. So th- that was that was some weird moments for me going through the video games, which does make me like the Geralt in the books more than Geralt in the video games. Mm-hmm. But that's neither here nor there. It's um, with regards to the hyper competent man, because we all want to be competent. Because <laughs> this is why this is such a big element in fiction mainly sci-fi fantasy yeah i think um that this hyper competent character shows up and we want to like experience this competent escapism we all wish when we see injustice we could like do something about it <laughs> whatever about, whatever you're going to do that's going to be up to you but we all wish to act we all wish to act competently and well like i said uh, provide a solution to the ongoing injustice problem, whatever that we see. Yeah, and the the skill set of either Jedi or witch or whatever is uh, very broad and allows yourself allows to for very different situations to arise and allows Geralt to be very interesting element that's then inserted into those conflicts and stories. So. This, I think, is very good execution of the hyper-competent character. Yeah. Also, because the rest of the world is also upskilled. There are uh, sorcerers as well, for instance, that can that aren't they don't they all have the same skill set as the witchers, but it doesn't make the witchers feel like this and all be all power in this universe because then they wouldn't be allowed to live and so forth, and. Which is why I always found the Jedi so weird that they were just allowed to. Sorry to make this about Star Wars, <laughs> by the way, but it, but it is just uh, it will just just be this part. Don't worry. Um, it's just this is why I find it so weird that they were allowed governmental positions or like this this pseudo uh, pseudo diplomatic relation. I made a joke to you once how you did how sending the Jedi would be like 
like, oh, okay, well, we will send neutral mediators. And a neutral mediator is like a Mormon Navy SEAL. Like, it doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Or like, I don't know, like an Orthodox Spetsnaz, uh, like a hyper-trained soldier or something. It, it's, it doesn't really doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, to, you're sending uh, this uh, special psy operative. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond of what we can imagine, like a... Uh, a competent character that we can imagine because once again they have access to supernatural abilities yeah and so i'm always very anxious when such a character is introduced because i'm because i'm aware of all the ways it could go wrong insert robert highline brand here um it's <laughs> like space marines and, and there's a story about where he's his own grandfather or something once again not an expert on him but at all oh, if you look at, at the way to do it wrong i would say there you go. Um, going to stop talking about sci-fi now. Don't worry. <laughs> sure. But that's that's something I I appreciate about this. Yeah, I uh, think, universe. Uh, I think what happens interestingly with The Witcher, at least in these two books, is that while you know he's hyper competent, he's like a, a, a incomparable. You can't compare his skills with with other people. Whatever, he still. He still fails a lot, and he nearly dies a lot, and he needs to spend a lot of time recovering. And I think yes. that's that is a particular point because, like, yeah, sure, you can get mortal wounds or close to it, but you rarely have the time of you know the character recovering and deal with that. Usually, it's like, okay, I need to get back in the fight, and then he gets back in the fight, uh, or it's like, you know, cut. Oh, he's better now. No, we we spend a lot of time with Geralt, both in his when he's still recovering and is still not in a condition to be out in the world and sort of, rec well, not recluse, but is, he's in the sanctuary recovering in The Last Wish and also in like a delirious recovery state at the end of Sword of Destiny where, you know, you have a variety. I I think that's interesting setup because what, what happens, and this is not really a spoiler, uh, he gets pretty fucking injured and you get a lot of different stories which are different memories and things, things which happen before or hallucinations happen during you know parallel brief parallel stories inside that story as he's you know delirious recovering remembering waking sleeping that kind of thing i hated that i hate the way he's done in that book in that story hated um i, I really Aww. do it's uh it, it's also probably not helpful that i listen to the stories uh, and i was like okay let's set up new setup new situation I, I didn't like that at least not the way it happened there but it's I don't I don't think it's poorly done. I think that's a pet peeve of mine with that particular story, which at the end of the day I did kind of like. But that was well, we'll get to the other point, which is the bad point, soon. Regardless, I will say regarding that story, it is the last one, and yeah. in we we are both of, uh, in an agreement that we like the last wish more. Yes, <laughs> the last wish, not the last witch, but the last wish more than sort of destiny. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, like I pointed out, it's it's not just that they serve different purposes, but Sword of Destiny is also encumbered with like getting for at least for the English readers, I suppose. It is it does set up everything that yeah. Book One of the saga, Blood of Elves, is going to be dealing with, and that's not an easy task. Uh, no. The, the Last Wish is a lot more a collection of a, sh a couple of short stories. Yeah, it's a lot more than Sword of Destiny is. I would also, all, I would almost call Sword of Destiny a book 
not even a collection of short stories. Yeah. It's, it's, it's much closer. It is a collection of short stories, sorry, but I would say it's a lot closer to a book than Last Wish is. Yeah, and I... Oh, sorry. Sorry. Go on, it's fine. Okay, I'll, I'll draw a very quick parenthesis here about writing books of short stories, which is something I've learned about or had some contact about in the past two years. But effectively, like, in thinking about that and wondering about that, and it's like, you can do it in a variety of different ways. And in The Last Wish, you have a very, oh, I'm not going to say loose, but you have like a narrative, like, um, grounding point for all the stories. It's like these memories that Geralt is telling or remembering while he's incapacitated and recovering in the sanctuary. And the stories aren't necessarily that that theme, they're not all the same, they're not chronological necessarily, although, well, I think they are, actually. Are they? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, regardless, they're, they're not necessarily like one after the other, they're like things that happen at different moments before this specific time. Except where... for sort of destiny with the flashbacks. Oh, yeah. With the hallucin- hallucinogen, which might, not have, <laughs> might, which might not have happened, but who knows? Oh, Oh god, I don't want to think about. I that. think they happened. I think they all happened because he is in such a unreliable, un, um, unreliable narrative yeah. narrator state. We cannot fully uh, say. I like to think that they happened. I think. Yeah. I, yeah. I think they are all memories that have happened. But technically speaking, we don't know. Sorry. Please no, that's continue. true. Good point. Uh, but regardless, there there's different stories that not necessarily not individually connected, like, oh, it's this one, then there's this one, then there's this one. Yes. But they are stories of Geralt of Rivia, the Witcher, and some of the key stories that are important to him and that will be relevant for, well, decades to come, both narratively and the character himself as, uh, you know, both things that lead to consequence and destiny. We'll talk about destiny, uh, but also in terms of a particular moniker that Geralt receives and which I don't know. It it doesn't reading it. It felt doesn't feel like that big of a deal. But anyway, um, <laughs> regardless, the the point is that you can do that. You can also do it as like you know different themes and and different connections of different moments between this character. And the second one, I think you're right. It doesn't feel as much as short stories. It's like this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And they feel very sequential, even if they're yes. not directly. And I, I don't know. There's, there's just some, some stories I think are less interesting or less interesting played in Sword of Destiny than in Last Wish. Though I will say that what the Sword of Destiny is or isn't uh, is really great, and I really enjoy that. But we'll get to it soon. Yes, I want to quickly just add to something you said. Of course, which is something about what I said. Um, <laughs> the the um, this whole idea of that Geralt does get his ass kicked. Yes. Which is good. But oh, yeah. it is never phrased as as all oh, and he and he persevered and he like yeah he wins, but there's this it is not a good word for it, but I don't know how else to describe it, but there's this sadness about it. There's this not blasé, but this well, what are you gonna do? Shrug type of dealing with it which subverts this oh i i'm i'm still not quite sure how i want to put this because i might 
there are a couple of things playing here with the whole, especially when we have a, a character that is a man, yeah, and he has a, a very long sword and he <laughs> slashes, and it, it is very those type of novels, those type of stories. No matter doesn't they don't have to be novels, but those type of stories can be, in my humble opinion, even though there might not be that much of an authority, uh, like the intent of the writer mm-hmm. might not be such. But they can end up being this, oh boy, um, this quasi-fascistic stories um, yeah. I, I, of of the man that overcomes, the man that conquers, that man that you know these bleh, these type of <laughs> uh, say very un- uh, non eloquently, they can fuel those type of thoughts. Yeah. I have seen some you know uh, right wing people and. Yes, everything's political, so don't be surprised that I insert this political <laughs> angle into it. But I've seen a lot of right-wing people cheering on uh, The Witcher, Poland as a country, where The Witcher is seen as this Lord of the Rings-esque mm-hmm. magnitudes, uh, having uh, equal to that of Lord of the Rings, I would say. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's on a pedestal there, over there. They right. even gave they even gave Barack Obama The Witcher two in like when it's, when he went on for state visits, he got like a basket of Polish goods, and in that basket was CD Projects Red uh, Witcher two. <laughs> so it's really funny to think that Barack Obama has the Witcher two somewhere, maybe <laughs> shrug. But um, besides all that, which is funny because Barack Obama now works for Netflix. Or has to deal with Netflix to write series. Oh, um, never mind all that. Well, who knows? But um, I always found that uh, really funny. And it shows that the Polish people care very deeply yeah. about their great fantasy epic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I should call it a fantasy epic. But to them, it is of epic proportion, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. It was a very big cultural impact. And... Andrzej Sokowski on national level is, you know, as as I under, understand it to be, a important literary figure, mm-hmm. or at least the Witcher books are very well known throughout the entire country, mm-hmm. and and because of that, and Poland right now ha- uh, showing its right wing colors as we speak in the current political situation. Yeah, uh, it's not surprising that therefore the Witcher has a bunch of right wing fans. Yeah. And I do think they are drawn to Geralt's hypercompetence. Yeah. And this normally would be a bigger issue for me if it wasn't... If I didn't also think it would be bad if we structured fiction in such a way to not appease fascists or not appease yeah. right-wing people. Because <laughs> then you would give them inadvertently so much influence. And I don't think we should endlessly uh, lower the quality of our stories or lower elements of our stories just on the off chance that a right-wing person might revel in it because they're yeah. probably going to do that anyway <laughs> so I, I i do think it is the uh the task of a writer to denounce such fans and to well say something at the very least you know yeah. i get that it, it is your way of getting bread on the table and i respect that but yeah. Uh, anyway, that's that's the unfortunate position that we are in, and with with your regards that that Carol does not get his way a lot, but enough for some people to see kind of some kind of wish fulfillment in. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. He does. Um, he's not unsuccessful with women, for instance. That's the other one, right? Yeah. It's always hyper competency in combat and good with women. They, these are the two, uh, the, the two big elements that, well, those type of people yeah, th- would like a, to see. That portion of that is like very fantasy like in a bad way. That's like, oh, this. This is a bit unnecessary, isn't it? I don't think it's handled uh, amazingly well. I will say in his defense, at the end of this book, he doesn't end up with the person that he loves. So I think from the perspective (laughs) of the writer, he did try to be like, hey, he has love disposable sexual pleasure, but this is not what he wants. He's still structurally unhappy. So, but It's definitely a challenge. Yeah, but people who are just looking for such surface-level interactions as in, once again, the hyper-competency, either with combat or women, are not going to get that. And so this is how I think this fan base of something that is, I think, for its time, disclaimer, asterisk, everything, (laughs) footnote, uh, for its time was quite progressive. Mm-hmm. And this, this is why it still has, because, you know, it has strong female characters yeah. up to a point. It has, uh, you know, it has female agency um, and so forth, which at that time was maybe not that popular, especially in Poland. I heard from Polish people that, well, to talk about another uh, character that's very prominent in these books uh, called Jaskier or Dandelion. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a very archetype Polish character. A mm-hmm. uh, someone who can speak eloquently, but morally is dubious and drinks a lot and has a lot of uh, sexual encounters. And this person, Dandelion, as he's called in English, so I will refer to him as Dandelion, um, <laughs> has this really odd, dualistic <laughs> relation with Geralt. Because one now and then he has he gives Geralt this advice. To for Carol to get his head out of his ass and you know uh, face the music and so forth, and it's all right. And at other times, he's an utter buffoon. So yeah. I, I've always I like their dynamic, but it is a bit odd. It's, yeah, it feels um, like a narrative thing more than a character thing. A lot uh, several times. Yeah, Dandelion is this narrative catalyst a lot of times. He certainly is. <laughs> Which, uh, I don't know how to feel about that entirely, <laughs> because him having to fulfill that role and having to fulfill the role of Geralt's most prominent friend is a bit odd. Um, or, well, that dynamic, the switching between those two functions does feel a bit, I don't know quite how to put it, mm-hmm. but it does feel, um, it will become more clear through once again, the saga books. I'm mm. going to say that a lot. I'm so sorry, dear listener. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fine. <laughs> um, I, I was going to add, and like to sort of draw together what we've been talking about in terms of like the folklore and the the, the hyper-competent man as we, as we move on, is that one of the things that is really interesting is that Geralt is not... He can be heroic sometimes, but he's not really a hero, and the Witcher is not the figure of a hero he's he's not a mercenary although he's close because effectively he's there doing a job he's doing a service like he's he's out there to hunt and kill monsters and he works under contract 
most of the time. And that's why he's there for. Like, he has a function to, to do, a, a service to, to accomplish. And yes, at times he, or a lot of the time, he goes off course, he, he goes off script. And there's a lot of other things because, well, we'll get to that. But uh, yeah. he, he's, he's in denial most of the time. And, you know, doesn't want to face the music or puts himself separate from the music and, and certain issues. But he fucking can't, as none of us can. <laughs> and <laughs> and nice. he... And that plays into, like, this, this world building and this folklore because he's not, like... In, it, it, as you mentioned, we have, like, news that, no, at a, a different time, long ago... Witches were revered, they were figures that were honorable, whatever. But, you know, two things, people caught on. Uh, and, you know, they, they're they not really that much, because like, they're doing a job. Like, they're, they're paid for, they're not they're not knights, they're doing it for honor. No, they, they need to live, they need to eat. There's a constant thing about, uh, in these books, uh, these two, that, you know, he, he doesn't make a lot of money. He needs money to eat, to, to find a sort of lodging. Uh, he's very nomadic kind of figure because he's going around looking for, for service, for work. And while, you know, he has moments of, like, heroism or he's doing the right thing or, you know, he's being hyper-competent, it's a pretty miserable kind of life. Um, and it's yes. not a pretty miserable kind of job. There's a story, I, I think it's sort of Destiny, where, you know, he's fighting a monster which is in a trash heap. So there's nothing heroic about that. Yeah. Pretty shitty time. Literally. Hey. And, you know, they, yeah. they, he, he has to negotiate his payment. And it's he's it's not a nice time all around. So it's... He's performing a function. And that sort of yes. really downplays what he's doing a lot. And I think that comparison... And I'm going to make this point briefly so we can go on to some of the other stuff. Because there's a lot. And we're not going to talk about everything but at least some a few other things. But that comparison with other, you know, more traditional folklore, traditional fairy tales, where, you know, you have, like, the errant knight or the prince or whatever, that, that kind of story that is played a lot in the third game, which is the saying to a lot, a lot has happened, which in the expansion Blood and Wine, where you do go to this other county barony place, uh, which is Toussaint, where it literally is like this fairy tale land. Uh, I mean, the color palette is saturated. It's brighter. It's colorful. It's shiny. There's honor. Blah blah blah. There's all that thing. It's like this Van Gogh painting almost. Exactly. And you're there. You're this muted, colored character who's there, who's doing his job, still doing a service, and you're there. So it it, it plays with those ideas and these comparisons with other stories in a very clear-cut way, visually so. Yes. And I think that's one of the things that makes that entire expansion so fucking memorable. And just playing with that so much. Because it, it plays in the stories and plays in the game before. They're like, oh, you're no hero, you're no knight, you're not doing this thing, you're doing a job, you're doing a service, blah, blah, blah. And, and then you have like the, the literal contrast there happening and you're playing and living it. And how do you deal with those negotiations and that place? So, you know, but that's a, a, a result of getting this character after so long and through so much that you're 
uh, you're able to do that in a lot more sophisticated way, in a very different way than it does at the start with, you know, literal references. So it's like, oh, this is no story of a prince kissing his bride awake or uh, getting a magical slipper, something like that, which are, <laughs> they're there for a reason, but they, they don't hit. It, it's, it's a stupid, it's not always true. It's a kind of annoying trope, but it's a thing. It's like, you know, sh- showing, not telling. Uh, yeah. tell- you're telling this in very, it's a uh, toothless ways. Like there's no consequence to that. It's like a little reference thing. Um, and they serve a purpose, fine. But, you know, when you see it done in a much better way afterwards, it kind of hits less. But it's important. But just to sort of show and draw some of these lines of like, what is Geralt doing? What is the Witcher? What is his role? He has a role to play and like a, a necessary role from like an economical point of view, a social point of view, but also like how does he survive? He, he has needs, he needs to live, and he also has emotional needs, which he neglects, denies, and we'll, we'll get to that. Yes. So speaking of getting to that, where do we want to get to next? <laughs> so I, I just want to tie together what we have been talking about and what mm-hmm. you just said, because it does let uh, over into one another. Of course. The um, it, He never glorifies anything. Yes. And this is a very important step, I think. Once again, you cannot prevent people with very interesting and weird political views to like your stuff. Yep. But what you can do is at least give them a hard time. Yeah. And I think a, a way to do that is to eliminate the glory of violence. There's quite... Okay, I'll get to that in a bit. <laughs> um, it's... Yeah, because... Okay. So maybe this is a good point then to say uh, spoilers. Yeah. For... Uh, I don't know if you wanted to get into the... Once again, I, even if you haven't read the books and you want to finish this episode, we're not, we're not going to... The, the big stuff happens in the saga book, so don't worry. They're still <laughs> worth the read. Uh, still worth reading, I mean. And yeah, so I'm going to get into... I'm going to take some examples. Of and course. I'm going to work through what we just said and like yeah, try yeah. to relate that because you just landed on a couple of points that I really want to get into <laughs> as well. Yeah, I, I, I just remembered after, after you do, well, I, want, I really want to talk about lesser evil. Yeah, so I was going to get... That is one of the points <laughs> that we're going to get into with the non-glory elements that, that yeah. I was talking about. It's they we have this this hypercompetent man, we have not just Geralt, by the way, like I said, there's a bunch of people that are very powerful in this universe. Yeah. And it and even the majestic creatures and whatnot it it he they insert these uh these Tolkien high epic fantasy elements <laughs> in there. Elves, dwarves, humans they do uh, d- dragons uh, and so forth, but then those concepts are chained and dragged down by the minutia of the real world, yeah. which he has access to mainly because you know once again, uh, not an expert on Eastern European literature, but it it, it does sound very Eastern European esque of the griminess of the re- uh, the the gritty real uh, realness of these stories, which is not uncommon in that very broad uh, sensitizing genre like it's not a very definitive uh, there's no definitive definition for this genre so I'm very careful with what I'm trying to say here but uh, I I do feel that that might sound familiar to look at like I don't know uh, like Stalker for instance like this Russian uh, story about that doesn't really have this uh, very western 
uh, tie-in ending about like oh everything is fine everything is good now we are all happy happy ending <laughs> like it's it, the mister Eastern European anything literature media whatever has never been afraid to show misery in its full glory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> glory is a terrible word to choose um, <laughs> because of what I said earlier, but in, in, in all its angles. And this, uh, The Witcher is no different in that regard, I feel. No. Because there's literally this story about the time that Geralt was young and was setting out. He recounts this tale to this monastic woman uh, that tries to heal him and he talks about how he tries to be a heroic person and there was like a brigand that was uh, assailing this this group of people and he did like uh, like he jumped in the air did a salto and like uh, pirouette and slashed and cleaved and murder maimed uh, the assailants uh, the brigands whatever tore them apart with a sword and expected the young woman to be thankful like oh my hero and Instead, she threw up, <laughs> like she vomited yeah. all over the place, and I think that's in a uh, that's that's in a Witcher in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> you can do all this heroic shit, but you will have a semi-realistic response to it. The like you know, there's no knight errant happy ending here for you, and he he does demonstrate that very early on, which I think is important because yeah. it's it's this courtesy of like, hey. If this isn't your type of, how do I say this, uh, your cup of tea, then by all means stop drinking it right now because <laughs> it's not going to get better from here on out. Oh, it, so, it'll definitely get worse. Yeah, so that's. Uh, uh, but to get into the lesser evil, yes. two two things that stand out that I want to talk about really about the story is the interesting uh, concept of what I tried to say earlier. The play, the playfulness with fantasy poetics, because well, maybe you want to talk a bit about what the story is about, but well, sorry, my my bad. You go first. You tell what the story is about if you want. Sure, I'll give it a very brief summary. Yes, please. Effectively, what this story is about is Gerald. It ends up at this small town, whatever. Blaviken. Oh yeah, Blaviken. That's the name. The very important name. Um, yes, <laughs> as well we'll see. Um, and he, I don't remember exactly what he was doing there, but effectively he runs into the or goes to meet the uh, sorcerer resident of the town, and whose name I've already forgotten. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Not being very professional here. Stegabor. Stegabor, yes, very very good name, and yes. He comes to learn that that he wants Geralt's help to stop some brigands, effectively, that are kind of after him for, well, how, how to put this lightly. Uh, the sorcerer right. believes in a particular <laughs> myth that people born under an eclipse, I believe, will effectively yes. doom the world. And so that has led to, you know, experimentation, violence, child murder. And for, you know, believing a particular prophecy. Because, ooh, prophecy. But, you know, real-life consequences of murdering. Which which is also reminiscent of uh, Arthurian legend. Because that happens. Yes. Yeah, that that happens quite as gruesomely, too. Out of Arthur and Merlin's own doing. Yay. Well, well, yeah, I suppose this is the the comparison, isn't it? Uh, Very directly, even. But anyway. 
And, you know, one of them, one who's escaped and is apparently quite terrible and murderous and whatever, is uh, out there to get him. And is kind of, you know, gonna do something terrible and is coming to get him. And so uh, he wants Geralt's help to protect him. And Geralt's like, no, not not doing this. And it's like, no, but you need to choose. It's the lesser evil. And Geralt's no, no, there's no lesser evil. Um, and then he runs into them. And they was like, no, we're, we're going to get him and you better help us or, you know, we're going to we're gonna kill people in the town. I'm going to hold him, hold him hostage and, you know, kill innocent people to force him to get out of his tower and come faces. So what they actually kind of do is sort of force Geralt's hand one way or another to either give up the sorcerer or stop them. And... Well, here's what happens. Uh, Geralt forces his hand. Uh, he does fight these brigands and kills them and kills the woman. And, you know, people are quite horrified by it. And he's dubbed, like, the Butcher of Blaviken. And is sort of kind of chased off town, not really, and never to return again. But it's sort of a, a moniker that haunts him to the end of his days. Kind of. But it's sort of a, um, a mark upon him and... and facing with these these notions of like, oh, is this the lesser evil? Is this better? Is this, you know, for someone who doesn't care about emotions, he really does care about doing the right thing. A lot. And, you know, the, there being no lesser evil. And we, I, I, I am obsessed with moral philosophy and I want to talk about this, but I want to consult Leon on whether the, this was a fair enough recap of the story and what happens. Yeah, so to get one thing out of the way, like what I wanted to say, which is why I want you to do the introduction <laughs> of the story. Uh, the girl, Renfrey, that is supposedly cursed, yes. she has a reference to like Seven Dwarfs, I believe, as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's So she's sleeping, uh, not Sleeping Beauty, um, Snow White, right? Yes. She is uh, like a spin on the classical European folktale of Snow White, which is might be more... Uh, well known to a general audience as uh, Disney's Snow White. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> once again, but this is very interesting because it's he plays with such. Once again, the original European folk tales are yeah. a bit more gruesome than the later on sanitized Disney versions, but nevertheless are children's stories. Yeah, and he puts children's stories effortlessly in this very gruesome narrative. So yeah. this is what I mean with like the poetics of like oh, the folklore and the fantasy genres and stories. Uh, he he does. And it might not be, everyone's, once again, it might not be everyone's cup of tea. Not everyone can let loose of such references and such inserts, if you will, as easily as I can. But I think the narrative momentum and the world that is built around the story that is being told to you, I don't mind it. And I think it's cheeky, clever. I, oh, I, yeah. I don't mind. No, me, I, me either. I was being annoying before, but... I, I... Oh, no, but it's fine. But I understand that it might be, you know, difficult for some people. Like, oh, I don't want to think about Snow White in that fashion. Yeah. All right, that's, that, that's fine. If you're that attached to Snow White, I guess, shrug. But, um, <laughs> sorry, that's not too judgmental. <laughs> I get it. Once again, I, I get it. If that's... Uh, if suddenly in this very... Uh, gritty world that reminds you maybe a little bit of Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. There's suddenly Snow White's pop pop pops up. That's, uh, but see, not uh, Renfrey is not Snow White in any meaningful way. 
that <laughs> he never gives this permeable sense that they are really uh, those type of characters that you grew up with. Yeah, he plays off those ideas. Yes, and must be a little bit of a totally different approach, but in this way, kind of similar. This comic book series called Fables. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, some people might know it better as the video game Wolf Among Us. Yeah. And once again, I don't really want to get into that. that uh, <laughs> but if you know it, then it, it might serve as, an, as, a, uh, as a primer for understanding what we are talking about right now. It's Because uh, it's an interesting reconceptualization of those type of stories. Whereas mm-hmm. Anthony Sikorsky in, in The Witcher just kind of uses it as a, as a minor building stone. Yeah. And it goes as far as you want it to go. <laughs> and he doesn't really... It sounds like a bit of cliche, but you don't. He doesn't encumber you with seeing her, seeing Renfi as Snow White, because Renfi has so many other things going on. Yeah, that you can just kind of move on. If if you don't like that she's Snow White, sorta, which she might be, she might not be. Once again, you can kind of decide for yourself. Yeah, how much mileage <laughs> that 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 little note about seven dwarfs, nine dwarfs, seven dwarfs. I, I'm sorry. Seven. I, once again. I had different, thank you, <laughs> I had different childhood stories. But other than that, this Renfri thing is really interesting because he reckon, Carol recognizes some of him in her yeah. in the sense that they're both, uh, they're both judged heavily by uh, speculative conspiracy theories <laughs> and like just lies, just, just yep. like fear, xenophobia, even though they've done nothing wrong. Yeah. And... Yeah, yeah, the the judge from birth, right? And Gerald well, not from birth, but might as well have been like from six, I believe he was. Yeah, he. It, it, it's kind of the thing. Like there, there's a, a point of comparison there as well, because you know they they have certain because you know these people were killed and uh, autopsied, and you know there were mutations. Oh, scary! If the prophecy was right, uh, but you know Gerald via something called the trial of the grasses, which is a sort of weird kind of biological conditioning via several potent poisons, um, sort of mutates his body and his abilities. Well, he gets mutated. He doesn't do it himself. Exactly. You are subjected to it. Yeah, precisely. And it's pretty fucking mandatory. And it's got a pretty poor survival rate as well. And, you know, it's like, oh, but she's a a mutant thing. And it's like, and Geralt's like, yeah, yeah, that's that's not doesn't matter, <laughs> doesn't fucking matter, Stregobor. But you know, it's he has, he has this blasé attitude as a shield that he has built up uh, very yeah. carefully over time. He even plays with, oh, I don't feel anything because I'm a witcher, but it's very clear that he does. And oh, he's yeah. this very human, um, <laughs> like almost at random what he feels like, uh, what he feels like playing with the stereotypes <laughs> he plays with at that point point in time. And the people that he cares about know better. Oh, yeah. He certainly is aware... I mean, I think he... Th- there's both the thing, like, he has a better excuse to say that he doesn't feel anything because he's a witcher, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and he... I think he certainly put himself in denial enough to the point that he believes he doesn't. But, uh, well, he clearly does feel things. A lot of yes. things. You know, like the whole... The whole shebang of emotions and feelings and anguish and pain and joy and sadness and anguish and angst, lots of angst. 
And lots of pain. Lots of angst. <laughs> it's uh, the one minor note on the mutations is that even Geralt, why he's called, he has his monic- he has a couple monikers actually. Yeah. But uh, he his most famous one is the White Wolf. Why? Because his hair went white from the stress of the mutations. Yeah. And this is because Geralt is <laughs> Geralt is extra unlucky because the uh, trial of the uh, the gases is like terrible. But Geralt managed to deal with them so damn well that he was subjected to more of them. Oh yeah. So Geralt is this is even this elevated witcher. And <laughs> it, it and normally that would be, once again, tying into this hyper competency thing. Uh, but it he it is it is very tragic. Um Ugh. he deals with a bunch of things that are I'm going to say for a little bit later because I want to get into the uh, things that you said and the the, the moral quandary of this story <laughs> with this... Okay, so you have this witcher, this witcher profession and from this witcher profession, from this school called Kera Moren, he is encumbered with a set of, well, if you're familiar with the term, deontological rules yeah. with the moral philosophy. He doesn't kill humans. He is not allowed to... Well, in self-defense, he is allowed to kill humans, but he doesn't. He cannot take money. Uh, so when Frank said that he's a mercenary, he's a mercenary only for monsters. Yeah, he's, he's like, close to a mercenary, but not quite. Yeah, like an expert exterminator. And expert exterminator. Uh, he also yeah. lifts. <laughs> he also lifts curses, and he's this. I don't know this warrior monk shaman huh? and in, i'm sorry to string all those weird words together but that's i that's the best i can do it's true <laughs> he is and so this this deontological load for like a for like a better word this deontological set of rules that he is imbued with by his training clash really with his own character's ongoing consequentialist philosophies yeah. With, oh, what is the lesser evil? And but aren't do I not save more people if I do this and ignore the rules? And so this little package of rules that is given to him by his guild, uh, the Witchers, the Witcher Guild, is constantly in in peril and is constantly fraught with counter consequentialist moral philosophy. Yeah, and that is really interesting. I think it shifts the focus of am I strong enough to beat this monster? Am I strong enough to beat this swordsman? Yes, he is. Um, It's already, like I said, with the extra mutations and whatnot, the question, and once again, to tie it into this hyper-competency question, it is never interesting if Geralt can beat this person. Because, yes, he can. And uh, it's never like, oh, who's stronger? Like, once again, either something is so obviously far out of Geralt's league, or if it's just pure sportsmanship, once again, yes, Carol can beat them. Yeah. And to just answer those questions right away removes this whole, in my humble opinion, this Marvel comic book-esque question of, oh, who is stronger, this character <laughs> or that character? If you like that, no problem. No shame or anything. But I think it's very refreshing to, like, oh, can the good might beat the evil might, for instance, if you want to give us a fantasy spin on it. Mm-hmm. Like, just get, yes, Carol can. So, but the question then is the real struggle is not can I beat this person, but should I beat this person? Which yes. I think at the time is a very interesting 
shift. There's a very interesting shift in the paradigm of how do I view conflict in fantasy fiction. Yes. Which uh, which ties into a lot of what I've been thinking with you know Ursula Le Guin and uh, mm, yes uh, Wizard of Earth Sea, which deals with conflict in a very different way, and there'll be a reading corner about it, or there is already <laughs> by the time this comes out. But to add to that, like it's it's a what is interesting, and this comes up in the games as well, is less you know about the monster. Of course, there's the monster and finding and whatever. But it's like, should this monster be fought? How should this conflict be faced? Should I try to kill the monster? Should I try to lift the curse? Or how to best handle the situation? And it's like, killing and, and actually battling like this is not necessarily the best option, or it's not the or rather, rarely it is the only option. Because it's, or when it is, it's always twisted with something else and something more going on oh, there's this beast, whatever, yeah, but it's not as simple, or we wish it were that simple. It's not. And I think in one sense, you know, Geralt could, in another different story, you know, kick this guy out or kill him, whatever, or, you know, he could help things play out in a different way and try to understand what's going on, and rather than, you know, killing the opponent, solving the mystery. So the, the stories in Last Wish, I mentioned this to Leon before, they feel very reminiscent of like detective stories and a lot of the quests in at least Witcher 3 feel like that where it's like trying to understand what's going on and finding these clues and solve a particular mystery. Kind of find an old lady's pen. That too. And it spins <laughs> into something quite interesting too. That, that It's a deceptively simple quest but it has some cool implications. And that's a nice way to think about the Witcher sometimes. That's like, he's a superb warrior, yes, but he's also trying to and investigate or uncover these mysteries and these goes to a detective at some point. Uh, a very weird detective, but certainly one of them. Like, I definitely think some of those stories, or at least the way they're played out, and even some of the side quests, they're like, this is a detective story. 100%. Different setting, different character, different rules, but the paradigm is there, and that's fine. I think they, they work really well for some of the short stories. But anyway, I'll, yes. I'll I'll shut up on that point, and we can get back no, to moral philosophy. I, no, I think that like <laughs> through these stories and through these either detective work or what have you, Geralt slowly understands the or tries to figure out and manifest his own agency in the in his worlds. Uh, yeah, he understands what kind of Witcher he wants to be, and not just what kind of Witcher, but also consequently what kind of person he wants to be. Exactly, and that. This combination between interesting fantasy stuff happening and moral philosophy combined with his own psychological development is really is the core strength, I think, of this franchise, of, of the book series and of the games as well. Yeah, the character I will general. not say anything about the games because once I start, <laughs> I don't know when I will stop. And I'm sure we will do an episode on those as well eventually. Oh, absolutely. Um, right? Uh, <laughs> Which, you know, for any dear listeners, like I said, we have together a podcast called Here Be Media. And uh, we, we do talk about that kind of media on there. So uh, just a friendly reminder. <laughs> but other than that, this, this moral philosophy is, uh, once again, beautifully ties into what I was talking about, how certain fans think about Geralt and The Witcher, because 
a lot of people love quoting that little that little sentence. I <laughs> sadly I don't remember it verbatim, but it's about like oh, oh yeah. greater or lesser evil. I prefer not to choose at all. I'm a centrist. Ooh, and then and then he tries to be a centrist, and it fucking blows up in his face. So, and but people still <laughs> yeah. think that's the core philosophy of Geralt. And I'm like, oh, media literacy sure is a thing, huh? Um, I don't mean to be mean-spirited or flippant up towards certain people, but it is something I'm concerned about. I'm not trying to be condescending to anyone, but with all love and respect, he says it. The, the books are very clear about this whole moral quandary regarding the lesser evil. And <laughs> once again, this short story, uh, this very defining short story, su such a defining short story that he even gets one of his monikers from it, like you said earlier, is it's very clear as in, well, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do anything until it's too late. And then it's too mm -hmm. late. And, you know, like, like you said, it blows up in his face. He has to butcher someone he likes infinitely more than the uh, the wizard Strickaboy. By the way, the Wizard Strigobor just gets off scot-free and we never see him again. He He's fine. There's, there's no issue with Strigobor. So, yeah, that's, I think, a quite clear condemnation of centrist inaction. With not centrist inaction, but centrist doing nothing. <laughs> and, because yeah. you know, the famous quote, like, by inactivity you support, you support the side of the oppressor and so forth. Is something I firmly believe in, and I think every leftist believes in, quite quite uh, vehemently. And uh, oh, there was something else I wanted to, but yeah, it, it is frustrating how so many people still think that's Geralt's stance on stuff. Like, oh, lesser, greater evil. I prefer not to choose at all. When his whole journey is quite clearly him, uh, him getting the conviction. That he should get involved, that he should not sit on the <laughs> sidelines, especially not him, the hyper competent character. It, when those people do nothing, things will get worse. <laughs> how good of a future we have is how hard we fight for it, I think, personally. Which is a platitude, I know, forgive me, but it's, <laughs> we don't have the time to also get into that. <laughs> but uh, maybe, who knows, in the next episode. But it's, it's, um, so this this is the thing that's such an important element of the of these series of this character and of this universe. Like, and it's also very frustrating for me because I constantly see it again and again. And once again, if you just play the video games, I get it; mm -hmm. it's fine. But you are missing a very crucial because the books are canon in the game, but the games are not canon in the books because once again, they take place after the books. But exactly what you're saying is that, on, on, you know, like media literacy and not getting the point, it's not like, it's not that, you know, there's like, oh, a, a centrist possession or whatever. No, it's, it's like, Geralt sees the situation under a moral light and he's like, okay, I'd, I don't want to choose between this. I want to find something else that doesn't involve, you know, a, a murder and, <laughs> and mayhem or anything of the sort. I, I don't want this to happen. But he's forced to choose like given a, a third option not becoming concrete he acts and he's like he doesn't like it it hurts him but he sort of stands by it and i think like i don't know he'd do it again even knowing 
how it would turn out because he did. He 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 knew he was going to win. I think that's kind of the thing. It's like the conflict itself, like the battle, whatever. It's not the point. It's about what both precedes and supersedes it. It's about what's happening around it. And that's why Geralt is is this like moral character or concerned about this. And that shows like it's not a, a, a lack of choosing, but like he knows what he wants to achieve. And in that sense, that interpretation of like there is no lesser evil, it doesn't mean that you're not not forced to choose, that you're, you don't need to choose, but it's to understand that actions have consequences. Geralt is forced to acknowledge the necessity of a lesser evil, but I think that in the way that he frames it and the, the whole course of that story is that a lesser evil is still an evil. And how the, it came to that situation, it shows like the misery all around it. Or like, look at this fucking tragedy. Look what was forced to happen in this way. And I think that is a, a particular accusation that's like, no, you have to choose. You always have to choose. And sometimes the choice will be miserable. Sometimes the choice will be displeasing, painful, hurtful, awful, all round. But to believe yourself free of choice, now that's privilege. Now that's ignorance. That's <laughs> that's yeah. all the mistakes. And that's the centrism in it. But Geralt chooses. And I, I think that's... It, it shows a, a lot of like... And, and the whole way of that story. Because like, when others talk about the lesser evil, they speak of it with like, no, it's the correct choice is the good choice the lesser evil of course it's bad but it's the lesser evil but while other people may focus on the lesser part yeah we'll focus on the evil part even as he chooses it and in a sense that carries alongside of him and other stories other happenings as well there are consequences to it and sometimes that does mean acting evilly and that's not good but it's life i suppose yeah it's really interesting that you say that because why Geralt is such a interesting character to me, me as mm -hmm. a person, is he struggles with something. Not quite sure how I want to say this, but he struggles with something beyond that as well that I have also struggled with for quite some time. Mainly, to put it in uh, rudimentary terms, is if you look at Geralt's life, every single step of his life has been difficult has been so <laughs> fucking difficult yeah. so why would I expect the next step to be any fucking different and even those who are sent like who are in my life that are supposed to alleviate this difficulty they generate difficulty on their own think of Jennifer think of dandelion um mm -hmm. That last part I don't identify with as much, but this oh, whole the the yeah, it's just for anyone listening. But this severity of this 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 pitfall, this giant potential pitfall of fatalistic mindset that you can get through, that sometimes Geralt does fall into, as we all do, maybe I don't know, but mm -hmm. it, it it he's such. A painfully human character in that, and that, uh, and the fact that that is mainly his biggest struggle. Never, like he he does get severely injured, but that is his, like thematically at least, that is his main struggle. I would say, 
And just this idea that why would this not be difficult? Every step of my life has been difficult. And him giving that a place throughout, like, once again, the main books did really, you know, didn't provide an answer for me, but it does alleviate some aspects of how I view a bunch of obstacles in my life. And it's like, all right, that's, that's <laughs> this psycho- deep psychological journey, even though it is not spelled out, is still obvious enough that I can applaud it. And on top of the psychological elements, the writer also doesn't shy away from philosophical uh, debates, like we were talking about. Yeah. The um, universality of the deontological positions clashing with consequentialist observations. And mm-hmm. on top of that, we have Carol's love, uh, the love of his life, Jennifer, who, um, even though I don't like their origin story, um, the whole... <laughs> Carol gets a wish from a genie, and they wish they're together forever, and it's a bit... Something along like those that. lines. Um, once again, it is something that might be normal in fantasy, but I I don't like it. Um, I mean, me I like else. that it, it's... It, absolutely doesn't come out as expected and is a lot oh, more yeah. miserable in practice. But in the I, a man making a wish that a woman has to love him is weird to me. And oh, how, definitely. <laughs> right? Um, which is sadly too big an obstacle for me to enjoy that story a lot. Fair. But besides that, his, the love of his life, Jennifer, has this very elaborate philosophical discussion with herself uh, or just has very broad philosophical opinions uh, both sociological as well as, once again, more metaphysical, I guess. And <laughs> it's so refreshing to have... It, it makes the person so real, even though it comes kind of out of nowhere and isn't always built up to in a great way. Yeah. I do feel that, man, in comparison to other fantasy characters, the, the, just the whole... If you look at the Sword of Destiny and the uh, the story of Valentin uh, Merth, uh, Tree Jackdaws, the, the the dragon. Sorry, yeah. He, she goes on this entire discussion with this druid wizard about like um, natural determinism, uh, <laughs> like this this whole human survivalism, like this order the ordering of society in cities and chaos versus order, and they have this whole debate, and it's and to me it's not all that interesting. But nevertheless, compared to your average fantasy depth of discussion, it is so refreshing. It is like because you can you can get you can for yourself you can determine how much do I want to like this character to quite <laughs> a precise percentile, if you will, because of their philosophies, their their opinions, their their train of thought, and so forth. Yeah, and I don't know. I I really like that. That is a great strength of this yeah. Book like it's. The book is attempting to deal with other subjects, like, and we may not always like the answers or the options or how these characters look at them and see options or solutions, but the book is making an attempt to engage with them. And we're not going to have the time to do that because that, that would yes. be an episode on, on its own. But the whole matter of colonialism, assimilation, and exclusion, and, you know, think about the different races and the different, like, uh, other like monsters and, and things and how those certain things are monsters some of the things aren't what defines a monster what defines a threat uh the way they th- talk about dragons even and dragons being like the 
ultimate threat to mankind or something of those <laughs> of, of that kind yeah. um which i think is actually what yennefer says not the other guy uh yes. but regardless the book is like it's aware of all these things and the the, the, <laughs> the, the phrasing is poor but the discourse of all these things oh yeah no, and, definitely. and what 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 does it mean to talk about these different races and like you know this uh speciesism or racism in this regard and, and, and what how do does engaging with it works and like so a lot of the consequences involved with it and uh there's there's one bit uh, very early on in sort of destiny where one of the characters a dwarf is speaking and he says like you know i, I could do this i could say this but you know it, it's just a matter of time until or if i did something like this it'd just be a matter of time until you know they came and did another pogrom on us and it's like it's um yeah he's not wrong unfortunately and um that sort of thing does happen in that universe yes but uh, uh that kind of thing and uh oh another moment in sort of destiny as well where having a discussion with the character and he's speaking like oh but he's like not I've always known these pe- these things can't be trusted. They're not quite human. And then there's you know this halfling who's supposedly respectable, and, and he goes like, "I'm here, and I am not human." In case you, because I'm sure as you've noticed, is that I'm not quite human either. Um, because that the guy's talking about some other creature who's not human, but still, uh, and it's like very incisive in the ways that it engages and understands like how these structures can work a lot of the time of you know racism and prejudice and exclusion and marginalization and violence so these books definitely and talking just about these two they're aware of this they're aware of i know i think we were mentioning it and not specifically about this but these books are aware of violence in in broader terms and what violence can mean um both in a wanted unwanted and a prejudiced way and how these things uh, work, and definitely in a way against them. Like it, it's not defending anything. It's like, oh, this is okay. no, absolutely not. But it's it's more acute about how these things function, rather than you know, oh, these are how they see elves, or this is how they see dwarves. Blah blah blah. Hey, no, it's structural violence is at play here. Unfortunately, yes. And this is part of the world. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a very prominent part of the world, which is why, you know, uh, I'm always so surprised once again to get <laughs> just a reference to what we talked about earlier, why there's yeah. such a right-wing audience for this as well, because yeah. it's such a prominent part about it. And their argument is uh, like, oh, it shows why different cultures and different races don't mix. And I'm like, that's you're stupid yeah. and disgusting at that point. But anyway, it's <laughs> um, other than that, I, there are two sort of stories that I, uh, I wanted to talk about, but purposely didn't because I think talking about them will make a lot, will be a lot more poignant once we have, well, once Frank has read the other books, yeah. which is uh, the story of the Elven Valley in Last Wish and the story of Brokilon in Sword of Destiny. Yeah, and uh, which is which talks in great detail about elven perspective and perspective about elves as well, and I think it will be more poignant once again once Frank has the whole picture. <laughs> so I'm sorry if for those who have read the books and were like, "Oh man, I really hope they are going to talk about those stories." We will, at least I will, <laughs> in time. And, but yeah, sorry because 
once again, I think uh, dealing uh, with those stories, and even though the other stories have very heavy personal themes, sociologically, those two stories have very heavy sociological themes. Yeah. Um, once again, but like like Frank said about pogroms and stuff like that, uh, coming from a couple very specific uh, cultural groups that have been have suffered such things, uh, it's something I want to take my time with. And sadly, we already <laughs> crammed a lot in this episode, so and I wanted yeah. to complain about hypercompetent men all the time. So I'm sorry for that taking such a um, uh, such forefront. And no, if I think you were it was important. Other things, but uh, yeah. So yeah, um, I think we should wrap it up. Um, yeah, I was gonna say that. You have any final <laughs> points? Uh, geez, like I think based on everything <laughs> we have said, if everything we have said, and you're like, no, thank you, uh, I don't want to read that, <laughs> then don't. But if you're in any doubt, I think this this series is definitely worth a shot. Yeah, if you can get your hands on it in any cheap. Uh, kind of way, then p- please give it a shot. I think it would be. Yeah. I think it, it still holds such a unique place in fantasy, and it's worth a shot because of it. That. Does yeah. I I think from me, I'll I'll just say that uh, you know, look, when when doing an episode like this, and you have such ample material. Um, yeah. I mean, like, uh, unfortunately, readers can expect similarly for the upcoming Halloween episode, which I won't say what it is. But it's a chunky book. Um, so, yeah, we're not going to be able to cover everything, unfortunately. But um, what ends up happening is that we end up making certain choices. Some which we made clear beforehand, others which we end up deciding when recording, when chatting. This also happened in the 2312 episode with Kyle. And ultimately, it ends up being a conversation and certain things become more relevant or less as, as, as it goes. And I'm glad of what we chose to talk about and what we ended up narrowing upon, and which I feel captures the mo- some of the more important things about the, the, these two books and this character and even the franchise, widely speaking, but also generically on the small sample, uh, which is the character of Geralt of Rivia, which is the Witcher, which is uh, the question about moral philosophy and choices and action. And, you know, thinking some of us about folklore and how it ends up treating those and you know some of a bit of all this and touching lightly upon other elements we avoided certain things which ended up being i don't know i guess a bit more frustrating or not as interesting to us uh unfortunately we've also left out other stuff which is great but well we'll probably get onto it again when we talk about the saga but i guess my only point uh, uh side point briefly but relevant the sort of destiny focuses a lot on like maternity, reproduction, some Freudian oh, concerns, yeah. which I found absolutely insufferable, which, I don't know, don't add anything particularly interesting or particularly great about the story, the characters, or anything, really. And they're not present in the in Last Wish, and I don't know how they're going to be on the next box. I hope they don't show up as much, but just putting it out there as, like, this is one of the main reasons why I didn't like it as much. But it's, I think it's still a good book, but I definitely recommend you start with The Last Wish. But yes. yeah, other than all that give it a shot uh that's all i want to say like it's i think it's worth giving it a shot uh the books themselves really uh and if you don't like it that's fine i I think they're very particular in the way that they engage and you know the subject matter and all that but it's if you're interested in that kind of fantasy and that kind of thing 
give it a shot. It's, I think it's worth the attempt, even if you end up not liking it as much. Uh, but yeah, I think overall this has been fairly comp- fairly comprehensive on as much as we talked about. Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, thank you, Leon. Thank you for joining me. Anytime. Uh, and folks can definitely catch more of you and of us in Here Be Media of yes. the episode, which will, oddly enough, it ends up having connections to this episode. And we're not going to say which ones, but uh, <laughs> you'll find out soon enough as well. Regardless, thank you for listening, everyone. You can find more of our stuff on on Twitter at leftpagepod and on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash leftpage, where you can find leftpage and Here Be Media stuff where you have early access to episodes of, of both shows and access to the exclusive reading corners, but or well, the reading corner and the media corner, uh, which Leon might occasionally do, depending on availability, possibility, all those things, the circumstances. And technically speaking, our Discord. Is, uh, oh, yes, of course. If you <laughs> want to Discord. talk to us, you can. And... Yes, uh, we're, we're there too, uh, quite a lot. Uh, Leon, even more so. But... <laughs> Yeah, it's you can find us, you can chat with us, and if you can, please do support us. It really helps, uh, you know, keep things going and, you know, uh, a sense that we're creating good stuff. Uh, but yeah, thank you for listening, everyone, and thank you for hearing you. Till the next one.